But anyway, uh, today uh, we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn to that. Um, I shall read it today because I didn't get anyone to volunteer to read it. Uh, but if you do want to read uh, at the start for me next time, uh, please volunteer. That'd be great. Uh, so it's from verse 11 to verse 21. It says, uh, so this is from the NLT. You have made me act like a fool. You ought to be writing commendations for me. For I am not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. When I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle, for I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. Now I'm coming to you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have, I want you. After all, children don't provide for their parents, rather parents provide for their children. I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Some of you admit I was not a burden to you, but others still think I was sneaky and took advantage of you by trickery. But how? Did any of the men I sent to you take advantage of you? When I urged Titus to visit you and sent our brother with him, did Titus take advantage of you? No! For we have the same spirit and walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. Perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants and with God as our witness. Everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. For I'm afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. And you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence. And I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. So it's quite a, a rich passage today. There's loads in it. Um, some of it was sort of covered before, but um, I'll, I'll pray and then we'll crack on. So, yeah, Father, I just pray that uh, what you've given me today to share will be good. It will do people good. It will encourage people and build them up and that you will speak to our hearts and, and just... Yeah, we will leave from here in a good place, and you'll have spoken to us through your word and through the words you've given me. Amen. So it starts off uh, with, uh, in the, I think it was the NL, NIV, says, you drove me to it. You can, Paul is just at this point at like breaking point. He is so frustrated. You can feel his frustration. The NLT says, you made me act like a fool. Uh, he's, he's saying like, I don't want to have to justify myself. I don't want to have to keep giving you credentials and telling you that I'm meant to be doing this stuff. I don't want to have to be doing this, but you've driven me to it. You've given me no other choice because you keep demanding all this nonsense stuff that for some reason matters to you. And I don't want to have to say all this stuff, but you've given me no choice. Um, and I really find it fascinating with Paul's defense in 2 Corinthians because I find a lot of the time he sounds a bit like saying, I will not boast about how handsome I am. I will not boast about how talented I am. I will not boast about how wonderful I am in any way. I won't do it. And in doing that, you're like, eh, did, you not just do, did you not just do that? It feels a bit sort of like a, a subtle uh, backhanded sort of complimenting himself a little bit. But it starts off uh, in verse one, oh, verse one, verse 11, saying about commendations again, which is why there's a letter there. And some of you will remember when I preached probably months ago now about commendations, the church in Corinth was asking Paul for like these letters of recommendation saying, yeah, Paul's great. Um, that's what they did at the time. Churches would uh, write to the other churches saying, hey, you should get this guy come and preach. He's really good. You should listen to him. And Paul here 
uh, is saying, you should be writing these letters for me to other churches. You should be saying how good I've been to you. I shouldn't be having to give you letters recommending me because I'm the guy who founded your church. That's bananas. I should be having letters of commendation from you to these other churches saying that I'm good to go there. And yet he's not getting that. Then Paul says, I'm not inferior at all to these super apostles, which I had mentioned last time around when I spoke. Um, But then he says something really interesting, which is, even though I am nothing at all. And I love that because I've spoken, I think every time I've spoken almost from 2 Corinthians, I've mentioned comparison and how comparison is not great and comparison will either make you small or make you at all. Those are kind of your two options with comparison. It will make you arrogant or it will make you feel less than something. Um, But here, Paul is saying, I am nothing. And that's because of his understanding of just viewing everyone as sinners saved by grace. He understands that there's no hierarchy in the Christian world. There's no, you're a level two Christian and you're a level eight Christian. There's none of that. It's just you are a sinner saved by grace. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for you. You're his kid. Other Christians are his kid. You know, it's, it's a completely level playing field. There is no sort of hierarchy as such. Everyone is valued. Everyone is loved. There's no uh, sort of hierarchy as such. It's just that everyone is nothing. Everyone was a sinner for all have fallen short of the glory of God blanket statement, and all have been, who have chosen him, have been saved, blanket statement. There's no different levels. So Paul sort of views everyone as this sort of equal, really, which is really cool. So that's a good way of of doing things. And then um, he sensed Paul's frustration a little bit more. Has anyone seen a show called Cougar Town? Okay, so this will be a reference that only Heather gets. (laughs) But there's a guy in it called, and it sounds like it's a show that would be about like 80-year-old women dating 20-year-olds. It's not that at all. It's the worst-named show in the world. Uh, it's really funny. Um, it's got by the same guys who did Scrubs. Uh, but there's a guy in it called Andy who goes, Ah, oh, come on! <laughs> and it feels like that's what Paul's doing here. It's like, oh, come on, what more do you want from me? Come on, seriously? So he's saying that when I was with you, I gave you proof that I'm an apostle. I did the stuff. I did signs and wonders and miracles and mighty acts like what that's the stuff an apostle's meant to do and i've done those things what do you want from me you can sense his just frustration at that um and i got a a quote which is from someone who i didn't expect to be quoting in a preach ever um it's a quote from ed sheeran here's me being like hip and relevant says i can't tell you the key to success but the key to failure is trying to please everyone i liked that So, well done, Ed. (laughs) Um, So, you know, he has done everything right that he should have done that should have made uh, these guys in the church in Corinth happy. He's he's ticked all the boxes. He's done all the stuff, and yet some people are still miserable and complaining. He doesn't really know exactly what it is that he's done wrong because he's part of this passage is him sort of fishing for the answers for that. But it's good to realize that there are some people who you just won't manage to, to make happy. There's another quote I found by a guy called Donald Miller, who I'd never heard of before, but again, I quite like the quote, so I thought I'd nick it. Um, He says, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for who they are. I was like, ooh, I like that. When you stop expecting to be perfect, you can like them for who they are. Um, And I would even take that maybe a step further and say, when you stop expecting people to meet your expectations, you can like them for who they are. Because what uh, people... Uh, Kev will always say to me, uh, you can't manage other people's disappointments. And disappointments happen after an expectation has not been met effectively. So you you have an expectation and then it doesn't happen and then you get disappointed. 
but it's the expectation that's the problem and the cause rather than the disappointment which you need to try and address. So Paul, throughout all of this, is trying to try and almost work out what was the expect, what were you expecting of me that has resulted in your disappointment? I can't work it out. I don't know what it is. Because you can't manage people's disappointments, but you can hopefully manage people's expectations for the future so that in the future they're not so disappointed. But Paul in this is just going, what is it? What do you want from me? I've done all the stuff. Literally, like, what, what is it that I've not done or have done that has caused so much of a problem? And then in verse uh, 13 says, the only thing that I can think of, which I failed to do with you, which I've done with other churches, is I've not taken your money. I've not been a financial burden to you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, I'm sorry I've not taken all your money. I'm clearly the absolute worst. Oh, no, I've not taken your money. I've let you keep your own money. Oh, no, the horror. Um, Paul is wonderfully sarcastic in that verse. I absolutely love it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just bizarre, isn't it? It's like, please forgive me for this terrible wrong. Um, it's just bizarre um, that that's something that they could maybe uh, be wound up by. But then in verse 14, 14, he says he's ready to visit, and he says something really awesome, which is, I don't want your possessions. I don't want your finance. I don't want your stuff. What I want is you. What I want is you. I want you to be for me. I want you to be behind me and with me. And I get that. I totally get that. I, in fact, this week, I've had some really encouraging conversations with many of you this week that have made me come away thinking, ah, oh, that's great. I feel like you're with me and behind me, and they are, those conversations are worth way more than any financial contribution uh, you can make. But I will say, as I think Ryan's in the room, that financial contributions to the church are also really good <laughs> um, and important. And, you know, where your finance is, there your heart is also, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, money helps the renting of the building and all this stuff. But, yeah, genuinely, sort of, you know, knowing you guys are behind me and with me and for me is, is really valuable, and I appreciate that. I felt really encouraged this week, so thank you very much. Um, but he says, I will not be a burden to you. And previously, Paul sort of explained one reason for that, was that uh, people had looked at these super apostles, and it looks like they have been people who were in it for the money. They were people who were doing it for the financial gain. They were people who were in it for that. And Paul's saying, I don't want to take money from you because I don't want to be in sort of conversations with people on the street and then go, oh, you're one of those Christians who's just in it for the money. You don't really care about me. He didn't want anything to stand in the way of the gospel. And that's the reason that he'd given previously in 2 Corinthians. But now we get a different reason, which is very interesting. So he takes us back uh, to the image of him as sort of the father of the bride of him as the, the father of the church in Corinth, the person who founded it and, and raised it up and gave it life, uh, who has promised the church in Corinth to Jesus at the end of the time. And it's just this really beautiful picture. And he says, I'm your parent. It's my job to provide for you. It's not your job to provide for me. That's not how a parent-child relationship works. It's my job is to take care of you and look after you. And so that's really lovely. It's like, ah, oh, isn't that lovely? It's a really beautiful picture. And then there's an absolutely heartbreaking statement where Paul says in verse 15, I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems the more I love you, the less you love me. Which is just heartbreaking, isn't it? So especially with this sort of imagery as him as this father who has raised up this church and has this fatherly love for this church, to hear him say, I, I've given everything to you. I've given you my time. I've given you my energy. I've sacrificed my finance. 
I've done all the apostle things. I've done my best job as I can possibly do. And it seems the more that I try, the less you care. That's just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so, yeah, it's just brutal, really. And, but uh, it seems like it's not all bad with the Corinthian church. It does seem that is an element within the Corinthian church. It's not the whole church. Uh, but in verse 16, we get... Um, is Ryan in the room? He's not. Oh, I was going to miss out on a Lord of the Rings bit. Boo. Um, so anyone who's a fan of the Lord of the Rings? Right. You used to get Gollum and Smeagol. So you get this one creature who's sort of almost schizophrenic kind of thing. You know, has two different personalities but in the same body. And it's a bit like that with the church in Corinth. You've got some of them saying, I don't see anything wrong with Paul. He's fine. He's great. What's he done that's wrong? And then you get the other guys going, oh, no, he's, he's the worst. He's tricksy and he's deceiving us and he's false. You know, he's, there's, just, there's this split. It's not the whole church that is completely against Paul. It's just this one element within it who thinks he's sneaky and is trying to take advantage of them by trickery. But again, he can sense his frustration. He's like, but how? What have I done that makes you think I'm being tricksy and false? What is it that I could have possibly have done to have made you feel that way? Is it the people I've sent to you? People like Titus? You loved Titus. You thought he was great. And yet Titus has told you exactly the same things that I've told you. He's very similar in character to me. He's done all the same stuff. We walk the same walk, talk the same talk. And you think, he's fine. So why have you got, why, what's the problem with me? He, just, he doesn't get it. He's sort of fishing for those answers to why he's being rejected so much. And then verse 19, uh, you get the Brian Adams verse, which is everything I do, I do it for you. Uh, or sort of more, more, more directly accurately, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. It's Paul saying, I, I don't know what it is that I've done wrong, but what I can tell you is that everything that I have done, my intention has been good. There's not been any ulterior motives behind it. I've not set out to cause harm, to do damage. Everything that I've done is out of love and because I've tried to be good to you. And that's such a frustrating thing. I'm sort of sure, sure Andrew's had this before and, and anyone else in sort of leadership or even sort of the business world who, who leads anything, you'll occasionally do something with good intentions and like think, oh, this group of people could really do this. I'll help by doing this. And then it turns out that by doing that thing that you've helped those people with, what you didn't realize was you're actually hurting someone over here um, who doesn't want that because of some other reason that you'd never even conceived of. And it's really frustrating when you do that. It's like, oh, you know, I, I, and, but as a church leader, I can promise you that I will never intentionally do anything to harm or to do you damage, but I can guarantee that I will do stuff to wind you up, but it's completely by accident. <laughs> I will never intend to do it, but it's almost guaranteed to happen. And I can see sort of Paul's frustration in that as well, but his intention, his intent is good. And then I wanted to skip ahead. Um, oh dear. My hay fever the last week has gone a bit bananas, which is good because I've given the people on the uh, podcast a, a moment now to sort of turn the volume down while I sneeze heavily into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> so excuse me for one second. Okay, I think we're good. Um, so yeah, verse 21, um, we get to, and I really loved uh, what Ryan said last week about Paul, like his, his burning um, with uh, sort of anger and frustration at sin. Uh, hashtag pyro Paul uh, is what I, I've put there. But... Um, I loved that, and it made me laugh, because uh, as soon as uh, Ryan said that last week, uh, he, just for the next five minutes of Ryan's preach, all I had in my head was, <laughs> 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 
fire starter. You know, going through my head for the next couple of minutes, and I may need to listen back to the things Ryan said after that bit because I, I was in a world of music in my head. But I did love this sort of, you know, if it was live action, you'd see Paul like witnessing and just like the flame go in his eyes and it really wound him up. He was really frustrated by it. And what it says here is, um, I would be grieved because many of you have not given up on your old sins. And he specifies at the end of the verse what those old sins are. He says, you have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. So when he says old sins, he's not kidding at all, because those are the things that he covered in 1 Corinthians. And as we've covered sort of this bit in 2 Corinthians now is really sort of 4 Corinthians, and there's been a couple of visits in between all that as well. So the stuff that he'd addressed in his first letter was probably ages ago, ages and ages ago. And yet it's still a problem for these uh, guys in Corinth, still an issue there. So it's sort of just very telling, really, that you know sometimes uh, people become Christians and it's like a, a switch is flipped and suddenly all the sin in their life has completely disappeared. Their like, addiction to, to drugs and alcohol and things just disappear overnight. Um, their character completely transforms, but other times it is a gradual process and can actually take a really long time, which can be frustrating, but sometimes just is the way that it is. But to not give up and to still keep challenging those things that are causing problems. But the one verse that I really wanted to focus on, because I feel like we covered Paul, you know, not taking money from the Corinthians. We covered him being like a father to the church in Corinth. We, you know, covered him getting angry at sin. So there's a lot of stuff that we'd already covered. But what I wanted to focus in on was verse 20, uh, which says, uh, when he turns up for his third visit, he's afraid that he'll find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Does that list make anyone think of anything? Make anyone think of any other verses? Oh, you know the answer because you've seen my slides. That's cheating. <laughs> anyone else think of anything when they look at that? Okay, so... Yes! Thank you. I was like, am I completely mad for this? So for me, this is like the anti-fruit of the Spirit. Um, so if you go to the fruit of the Spirit, um, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, I said gentleness twice there, those things. Um, you know, it's so, it's the absolute polar opposite, isn't it, to that stuff. Um, tangent time. So I think that we've got a grammatical error in our translations. So I reckon that you can't really see very well, but I've put uh, love in red and swapped the comma for a semicolon. Ooh, I'm not sure if this is heresy, so I'm going to put a massive caveat saying, I think this might be something, but I don't know. <laughs> but for me, uh, all the things that come after love are things that describe what love is. It's not that... Um, you know, love and joy, because peace and forbearance and kindness, all that stuff in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, when Paul describes love, it's those things. It's a sort of shorter list, but it's still that same stuff. So for me, like, the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is made of, you know, and its characteristics are joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's just a sort of you know, tangent side note for you that I think that's kind of the case. And it makes sense because, you know, God is love, uh, the spirit is love, and so it will birth love in us. And that's kind of the traits that Paul says elsewhere make up love. So I reckon it should be a semicolon. Um, but I don't think there is punctuation 
in Greek, is there? So could could be, um, but I can't. You know, I wouldn't stand my ground too firmly on that one. <laughs> but in a similar sort of tying up way, if we look at um, uh, the, this list, the quarrelling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, and sort of marry that up with the fruit of the spirit, you can see that they actually line up pretty well. Uh, a few of them are a little bit tedious, admittedly. Um, but, you know, peace is kind of the opposite to quarrelling, isn't it? And uh, kindness is the opposite of selfishness. Uh, gentleness, the opposite of anger. Self-control, the opposite of disorderly behaviour. So those ones are pretty much you know, self-explanatory. I'll try and give you my reasoning for matching up some of the other ones, because you might be thinking, what? Um, but the jealousy, and, or as it says in the Greek, an envious and contentious rivalry, which sounds a little bit more exciting. Um, it's all about sort of loss, isn't it? Not wanting to lose things and holding on to things too tightly and freaking out about things. But if you're doing that, the chances are you're not going to be joyful because Paul is joyful in, you know, when he has much, when he has little, he is joyful, he is at peace. Whereas jealousy is kind of the not being happy with the status quo, isn't it? Yeah, peace, quarreling, um, you know, complaining, arguing, questioning things is kind of the opposite to being in a good place with people relationally. Uh, forbearance or patience, as it is in most translations. I'm not sure what translation I picked for forbearance, but most of them it says patience. But I was thinking that uh, if you're quite an arrogant person, you won't have time for other people so much, um, but, or, or you ex largely expect people to be you is kind of what happens with arrogance. You think, oh, because I could do this or I'm this way, that's the way you should be, and then get really frustrated with people when they are not you. So you know, having patience and forbearance with people for me is the opposite of arrogance because it's actually letting people be themselves and not trying to make them be you. Uh, kindness and selfishness, you know, doing what is good, choosing others over yourself. The second commandment, love your neighbor, right, big deal. Um, then goodness and slander. So that one, you may be thinking, is a bit weird. But I figure slander, um, the definition of that is evil speech. So I figure goodness is pretty much the opposite of evil. I think that's very, fairly straightforward. Um, so in, just in terms of words, I, I love the fact that uh, Proverbs says in, in the tongue, you have the, it has the ability of life and death. You can use your words to build people up, to do people good, or you can use your words to bring people down. And that's kind of you know, your choice as to, to what you use. Faithfulness is about trust and confidence and fidelity, whereas gossip uh, here, which it literally says in Greek is sort of more whispering about people, is you know, not good. Uh, gentleness, instead of anger, we spoke a few weeks ago about gentleness like Jesus, that gentle strength, strength under control. Uh, and anger here is actually probably better translated rage. It's sort of an outburst of passion or wrath so it's sort of just flying off the handle, you know, um, which kind of comes into it with self-control and disorderly behavior, but not letting your emotions rule you, but having them under control, being, you know, keeping everything uh, sort of level and not being, um, to be fair, as David is sometimes in the Psalms, sort of borderline, sort of off the wall, sort of, bah, you know, all over the place. So for me, that's kind of helpful. Because, you know, we always sort of look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, this is what we should be. But then having this list of, like, the polar opposite, if you are going in a direction, you kind of need two points to mark a direction, don't you? You need to know where you're heading to, but you need to know where you're heading away from as well to draw a straight line through it. So for me, to say, go and be peaceful, it's like, well, what does that look like? But to say, 
being peaceful means not quarreling, that's sort of actionable, isn't it? You can sort of work out what that looks like. Or, you know, to be kind means actually I'm going to have to be less selfish to be kind. Sort of it helps sort of quantify it a bit better. So you may be thinking, what are you saying, John? Are you saying just try harder? You know, just make sure that you're doing the stuff on the left side of that left side of that list and not the right side, you know, should we just try harder? But, you know, that's, that's works, isn't it? That's not grace. And what is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And today's actually Pentecost Sunday, many churches will be celebrating today. So everywhere Christians will be celebrating the day that the Spirit first fell upon the disciples, and, you know, that's awesome. But it's the Spirit within us, isn't it, that produces all this good stuff. It's not our own efforts. It's not the fruit of hard work and determination, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not a... Obviously, we should you know, try to you know, lean towards those things, but the heavy lifting is the Spirit within us. It's the Spirit who will make us want to make the good choices. It's the Spirit in us reminding us of what we should be and what we should be achieving for or aiming for. It's the Spirit that shapes our character. It's the Spirit that softens our hearts and transforms our minds. So what we need to make all that reality is not to try harder. It's more of the Spirit in our lives, more of God's Spirit transforming us, making us more like Jesus. And so that's the end of my talk, but I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to invite you to do um, is going to invite you to stand. Uh, if you're able to, if you can't stand, feel free to say sing. Uh, it, gets, it gets worse. Um, so what I'd invite you to do is that instead of holding your hands out like this, or, or like that, however you'd normally hold your hands out when responding to prayer, what we need to do is hold your hands out like that, like you're a tree, and say, Lord, I want to bear good fruit. I want to be a tree that is producing good fruit of your love, fruit of love, which looks like joy, patience, kindness, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then I'll, I'll invite uh, Derek to come back and lead us in some more worship, and we'll just press into God's kingdom. I've talked for too long with lifting you with your arms up. Uh, Lord, we just praise you and love your wonderful name we just bring ourselves to you now and proclaim we want to be good fruit we want to be fruit that looks good that smells good and tastes good and is just the best that people around us will be like wow that's such a blessing to have around pray father that we would be people who bear that good fruit bear that loving fruit that has all those great attributes that are mentioned in the verses we've looked at today just pray that you would help us to make the good choices. You'd transform our hearts. You'd soften our hearts where need to be. You'd transform our mind, change our thinking where needs to be changed, and that you would help us to bear fruit. Just Holy Spirit, just pray now that you'd come and fill us afresh, that you'd renew us, that you would just change within us what needs to be changed so we look more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray as we continue to worship you and praise you. Just come and inhabit our praise, inhabit our worship, and we give you permission today to change us, to help us move away from the bad list towards the good list. Um, and we thank you that all of this is done, all of this is achievable, not by our hard work, not by our own efforts, but because of the saving, wonderful, amazing work of Jesus on the cross and through your wonderful gift of the Spirit. Be with us as we praise you and lift you up now. Amen.